We are nearing the end of our study through the book of Genesis, and we arrive in Genesis chapter 48. So if you would take your Bibles and stand with us as we read from Genesis 48. If you are using one of those pew Bibles around you, the page is on page 41. Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession." And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there, on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it to Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray together. God, you alone are worthy to receive all honor and glory and praise. And that is why we are gathered here today, is to worship you, to know you, to seek your face. So I pray that as we continue to walk through this story in Genesis, this story of your people, pray that you would continue to reveal to us who you are, reveal to us our need of you, reveal to us through the nation of Israel how we see this pattern in all of our lives. And so I just pray that we would submit our lives to you, to your reign, to your uh, good and kind kingship over our lives. Pray that you would guide in my words. Let this, let this time be a time in which we can just reflect on your goodness to us, your goodness to humanity, your goodness to your people, to jo- Jacob and to Joseph and to his family. And I just pray that we would, we would see as these promises then, then continue to be fulfilled and ultimately as they, they are fulfilled in the person of Christ and as we come to know you through our Savior, that we receive these things. And so I just pray that you would allow this time to draw us into your presence, to know you more, to love you more deeply. And it's in the name of Jesus that we come to you. Amen. You can have a seat. As many of you know, a few weeks back, uh, my wife and I went over and visited the Czech Republic. And while we were there, there was something that, uh, that, we, that we discovered. We discovered that the Czech people actually really enjoy American TV. And a couple of their favorite shows are Friends, and the other one is MASH, of all, you know, go figure, right? Because, um, you know, don't we all just enjoy that, the, uh, the MASH episode? One of the guys that we were talking with said uh, that he had seen all 300 episodes like three or four times. It was like one of his favorite shows. But uh, they also enjoyed Friends, and this became very, very apparent to me as we were in a conversation at one point where uh, we, we were just talking about various things, and then this, this Czech guy starts alluding to a very specific scene from the show Friends to illustrate something to me. Because as he's talking to me, of course I'm an American, so of course I've seen Friends multiple times. But what, little did he know that uh, I, I've only seen one or two episodes. <laughs> and so I had to stop him and kind of say, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you can, you can go for it if you want. But uh, anyway... He, 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 he was just passionate about Friends. He knew it inside and out. He had, they'd watched it multiple times. Um, but, uh, but, but he was, he was shocked that I, that I didn't know what he was talking about, that, that I didn't, didn't track with, with the story of Friends in that episode and what was being revealed. But uh, sometimes, I think, as, as we preach through a passage like this in Genesis 48, we can, we can feel like I did talking to this guy, uh, this, Czech, this Czech guy. We kind of, you know, maybe know some of the characters of the Old Testament. We, we kind of get some, some general ideas of the Bible. But when, when we zero in and we, we look at a scene like this, we don't really get it, right? You know, for some here, maybe this was the first time you've ever heard Genesis 48 read out loud. And that's why we actually take the time to read all 22 verses of this, what can seem like an obscure passage of Scripture. So that, so that we hear it, so that we, so that we, we look at it, God's Word together. But, but if we're honest, isn't it hard to sometimes connect with a passage like this? Like, like don't you just sit there like, like what do I do with this? What am I supposed to, what am I supposed to take from this? And, and I, I think it's important for us to, to recognize that even though these things seem so foreign to us, 
What, what would it be like if all of us grew to know the scriptures like we know our favorite TV series? That series that, that, we, that we've, we've watched multiple times where we understand the intricacies of how the characters relate to each other, how the plot line unfolds, the depth of things that, that come together as, as you watch it over and over, where you can refer to that one scene and, and, and everybody just connects with it and knows what it's, what, what's going on. What if we grew to understand the Bible in that way? Because the, the reality is we believe deeply that the Bible is telling us one story. That is this unified narrative that is unfolding for us what God is doing in this world, this, 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 this plan that God has to bring redemption to a lost and broken world. And this is why we've taken the time to preach over 30 sermons through the book of Genesis over the past year and a half. And we're, we're, we're almost there to the end of this book because we want to see how these things work together to reveal to us more of who God is and what he has offered to us. Because the reality is we can all feel at times kind of, kind of lost in, in some of these Old Testament passages, right? But, but remember, and we can take heart, that it's important for us as we continue to grow that, to, to see the story that God is unfolding for us through the nation of Israel because it's in that story of Israel that we actually see the story of humanity. We need to study these details to grow in our understanding of the big story, See, we, we, we too quickly sometimes come to the Bible just for some kind of quick, kind of inspirational truth to get us through the day, or, or things that are just, just, just kind of relevant for me in here and, and what I need right now. Sometimes we, 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 we fail to do the hard labor to study the story that God has been weaving together for us. We sometimes just want to kind of glance at the forest rather than stopping to look at the trees which are themselves beautiful in their design. And the more that we can grow to understand the story and how it all fits together, the greater we can grow to see the God who is revealing himself through that story. And he's the one who writes us into that story as well. And so it's much like re-watching that favorite TV series as we read the Bible. Hopefully as we finish Genesis, it's not the end of that for you. That, that throughout your life, it's a lifelong pursuit and endeavor to know God's Word, to constantly come back to it, to grow into it, to see how these things come together. So even in, a, in a, what, what can be somewhat of an obscure passage as Genesis 48, we can grow to see what God is doing to fulfill His promises through this people. So how I'd like to approach this passage today is just to kind of kind of describe what's going on, just to unpack the details here, kind of, kind of explain some things there. I don't have, you know, some, some clever points that I've put together here for us to remember initially, but I just want to walk through the passage and kind of explain it. And then I want to just conclude with the, the big question of what does this mean for us? What do we do with this? So let's begin by just, just diving into the passage and what's going on here to, to review the setting. Maybe you've missed a, couple, a week or two, so let's just, just understand what is going on here as we look at what is revealed in this chapter and the next in these, these final acts of a dying man as Jacob is coming to the close of his life. In chapters 48 and 49, we see the final acts of Jacob as he pronounces blessing on his sons. But it's chapter 48 that actually highlights Jacob's blessing not on his own biological sons, but actually on his adopted children, the sons of Joseph. And at the end of chapter 47, 
after we, we've walked through this extended narrative that recounts the drama of Joseph, as Joseph was, was, was betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers, but then as God was with him as he raised him up to, to second in power in this nation, and then as God in his providence reunited them through famine that drove his family back down to Egypt to be reunited. Last week, we saw this beautiful reunion between Jacob and Joseph. And then as Pharaoh, through Joseph, shows favor to Jacob and his family, he gives them land in Goshen where they settle. And again, as the, the, the people of promise always do, they begin to thrive in this land. They, they succeed, they, they grow, they gain wealth, and they grow as a people. And then Jacob, we find, is at the ripe old age of 147 years old, and he's coming to the end of his life. And he calls Joseph, and he asks Joseph, this son who he thought that he had lost, his, his, his special favorite son who he, who he thought that he had lost, who he's been reunited to, he asks him to commit a promise to him. And his promise is this. He says, don't let me be buried in Egypt. He says, take my body, bring it back to the promised land. Let me be buried with my fathers. His last dying wish is to be buried in the land that God had promised. We'll see why that's so significant as we move through. But then the scene in chapter 48 picks up where Jacob is going downhill fast. He's on his deathbed. So he brings Joseph in along with Joseph's two sons. These were the sons that were born to Joseph while he was in Egypt, that Jacob had, had, had not really met before. Their names were Manasseh and Ephraim. And as they come in, Jacob finds the strength to sit up in his bed as he has something very, very important to, to say and to declare at this point. So Jacob begins, though, by recounting God's promises to him. I think this is so significant. He begins by saying this. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me there. Jacob is, is looking back to uh, the, this area of Luz is, a, is another name for this, the town of Bethel. This is the place back in chapter 35 where, where, where God blessed him and then, then renamed him Israel. So he's looking back to this place of God meeting him, of God, of God changing him. And then God also said to him, Behold, I will make you fruitful, I will multiply you, I will make you a company of peoples and give you this land to your offspring after you as an everlasting possession. This sounds familiar, right? We've, we've heard these things over and over again. These promises just continue to be passed on, starting with Abraham, given to uh, Isaac, then to Jacob, and now continuing on to Jacob's children. God's promises are still being fulfilled, and Jacob knows that as he reflects back on what, the ways that God intervened in his life up to this point, which is why he then does what he does next in the text. It says that Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, Jacob is going to take them and adopt them as his very own children. And he's about to die, so he's not doing this just, so that, just for his own benefit, so that he can just enjoy, you know, enjoy time with his grandchildren or, or have, have more children of his own, but he's doing this for the future of them, for the inheritance even given to Joseph. But he adopts these two sons as his own, right alongside the likes of Reuben and Simeon. Jacob says then that any other children that, that Joseph then has later on, they will then be just incorporated into Manasseh and Ephraim. And this adoption is, is, is significant 
historically in kind of the narrative of Israel because it helps us understand how the allotment of the land divides up later on and, and how the 12 tribes actually come about, right? Because when we, if you think about this, you're like, well, okay, so Jacob actually has 14 sons, but we often think of just the 12 tribes. So, so how does this work out? And what's important to remember is that from this time on, Joseph doesn't actually have specific allotment in the land under his name, but he's actually represented through Manasseh and Ephraim. And then as we think about uh, the other tribes, Levi is this priestly tribe, which is set apart for God and is cared for by the other tribes, and so therefore doesn't have a specific allotment of the land. So if you remove Levi and Joseph and replace them with Ephraim and Manasseh, that's where we end up with the 12 tribes that we think of as the land is allotted later on in Exodus and, uh, and later on in the history of Israel. But at this adoption ceremony, as as, as Jacob is recounting these things. He also goes back and, and, and reflects on the death of his, his wife and kind of this obscure remembrance of, of Rachel. But I think this is here because he's, he's highlighting that for Jacob, he's recognizing God's favor and God's goodness in bringing him back to Joseph. Joseph was the son of Rachel, who he thought that he had lost, which had brought him such discouragement for so long. And now, in a sense, through Joseph's sons, he's in a sense given additional sons through Rachel, and he recounts the, the, the death and burial of his, of his wife. So Jacob makes Manasseh and Ephraim his very own sons, and then he proceeds to pronounce this blessing upon them. He brings forth the boys, and at this point, Jacob's eyesight is, is poor. He's losing his sight. He's, he's nearly blind. And this should call us to remember what we saw way back in Genesis chapter 27, Right? Isaac, when he was old and nearly blind, it was at that time that Jacob went in and, and deceived his father into giving him the blessing over his, other, his older brother Esau. And here in chapter 48, we see this similar pattern. But the text gives us very vivid detail at this point to describe this scene, where Joseph presents then his two boys to receive this blessing. And how he does this is that he, he takes Manasseh, who is the firstborn, and, and he leads him intentionally to, to Jacob's right hand, and he takes Ephraim, the secondborn, and he intentionally leads him towards the left hand. But in, in kind of a, a twist of, of what Joseph was expecting here, uh, the, the father Jacob, in pronouncing this blessing, he crosses his hands over and he places his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. And Joseph even tries to correct his father, it says later on, like, hey, dad, you got it wrong. The, the older one's over here. I know you can't see. And so it's like for Jacob, he's got to be thinking, man, my kids just always are trying to correct me, even, even when I'm 147. So I guess we have that to look forward to with our kids. But, uh, but, but, but he crosses and he, he says, no, Joseph, I, I know what I'm doing. Like, like this, is, this is like of God that's going on here. And so he essentially gives the, the greater blessing, because we've seen this throughout kind of different passages, right? The right hand had this special significance. Sorry to all you left-handers, but, but to, to the right hand was, was this sign of, of, of preeminence, of authority, kind of the bestowal of the greater blessing would have been the, uh, given through the right hand. And so as he crosses over, he's basically pronouncing a greater blessing on Ephraim over Manasseh. He says Manasseh is going to be great, he's going to thrive, but Ephraim is going to be even greater. And we see that later on throughout Israel's history 
as Ephraim essentially becomes synonymous with and representative of the entire northern kingdom. Later on, um, in, in, in Israel's, when, when Israel divides into the northern and southern kingdoms, Ephraim is actually like kind of representative of that entire northern kingdom because it's because of his, his, his power and status. And so this, this comes true later on, but the greater blessing goes to not the older one, but to the younger one once again. But then we, 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 can, we can listen to this blessing that is given to these two boys, just these beautiful words that, that, that Jacob declares. He says this, he says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In this blessing, Jacob declares a renewed confidence in God to be faithful to fulfill his promises. He concludes then by saying, by you, by Ephraim and Manasseh, you will, Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And this became this kind of da- standard declaration throughout Israel's history of blessing. For Jews, even to this day, what they, will, what they will pronounce over their young boys is this statement, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And the narrative then concludes with these final words that Jacob gives to his son Joseph. And he reminds him, he says, don't forget, right now we're, we're, we're in Egypt, but he says, don't forget God is going to visit you. He's going to come and he's going to bring you out of this land and reestablish you in the land that I have promised. And then he also shares, he says, hey, also I've given you this, uh, this plot of land, not to your brothers, but I'm giving you this special plot of land that, uh, that, my, that, that I took from the hand of the Amorites, kind of this random kind of obscure reference here to, to this, this area of land that Jacob, who is often known as kind of a soft man back compared to Esau, he actually had kind of a warrior side as well. And so he, he battled the Amorites and took this area of land and he's giving this plot to Joseph and to his children. And it speaks of, of how the, the really the blessing and the birthright is being transferred to Joseph and, and through his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Because Reuben was the firstborn of his family, right? But Reuben... As, as, as we find out, like, he ended up committing this terrible act and sleeping with his father's concubine. So he, he lost his right to that blessing, which is then kind of transferred to Joseph through his children. So, an interesting passage, right? You know, it's, uh, it's one of those passages where, we, where we, we get to this point and we, can, we, we think, well, what do I do with this now? There's some, some neat factoids, right, about Israel, about their history, about what God is, is, is doing, you know, through them. But come on, like, what do I do with this passage about a guy crossing his hands and, and pronouncing blessing on a couple kids? And that's a, that's a good question for us to, to, to wrestle with, something I wrestled with this week even. But I believe that even as, as, we, as, we, uh, as we finish with a passage like this, there are still some significant themes that have been repeated throughout this book that we are to take hope in. And the first thing that I think that we see through a passage such as this is, is number one, that God is still present. Jacob is one of the most confusing characters in Genesis, right? He's seen as this deceiver, a master manipulator, but he's also a guy who went through some radical encounters with God. 
A man who, who wrestled with God. A man who we see just is, is always seems to be kind of wrestling with, with his faith and in, in his, in his place and in what God is doing with him. And if we compare the way that, that Jacob viewed his life just a couple chapters ago in Genesis 47 when he met Pharaoh with what he declares here in chapter 48, we see a vastly different picture. When he met Pharaoh, he said this. He said, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And this is, this is right after Jacob has spent years where he thought he lost his favorite son. His family has gone through famine. He, he's, he's been forced to leave the land that, that, that he thought was promised to him. He's probably arrived in, in Egypt at a pretty discouraged place. Struggling to know what is going on. Is, is God even still there? His life didn't work out the way that he expected it to. He's pretty broken down when he arrives there. But then as we see the transition to chapter 48, it's amazing. As he's reunited to to Joseph, as his family is cared for, as he sees God's provision, he he begins to reflect on all of God's promises, and he begins to, to, to remember and recall. And at the end of his life, the summary statement is ultimately this, that God has been my shepherd and has been with me all my life long until this day. And we've seen this repeated over and over with the patriarchs. Regardless of the struggles that they've had, regardless of the failures that we've seen, and we've seen a, a, a multitude of failures with this family, they are, they are broken. But yet through it all, through the blessing and, 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 and how they have succeeded in different ways and through the failures, we've seen over and over the repeated refrain, God has been with them. And Jacob, on his deathbed, can look back at his life and he can recognize, you know what? God has been my shepherd through it all. Do you guys, do you guys resonate with that? As, you, as we can get so focused on just the, the difficulties of life, and life has plenty of things to be discouraged about, to be struggling with, but through it all, as, as, as you walk and as you live, Longer and longer, do you see and recognize that God is your shepherd? He is still with you. And this is what Jacob declares over and over, that God was still working out his plan and his purpose in his life, even though it may not have taken place through the means and in the way that Jacob would have foreseen. But God is still present. The next thing we see is that God's grace is still free. As we saw once again, the blessing bestowed here is on the younger son and not the older son. We see God's grace given to this unexpected one. Going back all the way in Genesis, we've seen this as a repeated theme, right? It was Abel's sacrifice that was received and not Cain's. It was Isaac who was the child of promise and not Ishmael. It was Jacob who was chosen over Esau. And here Ephraim is blessed over Manasseh. And we can continue to trace that theme throughout the rest of the Bible as we see a man like Moses who, who, who can't even speak is chosen by God and appointed by God to be the one that God will use. Later on, we see David as all of his brothers are, are presented to be king. And, and God says, no, it's not them, but it's David, the youngest shepherd boy, the one that they had forgotten about in the field. And we see this over and over, this repeated theme that God uses 
the unexpected means to accomplish his purposes, and his blessing is bestowed on us, not by right, not by natural descent, or not by merit in what we have done, but solely by his grace. This is why in Romans chapter eight or chapter nine, Paul, how he describes the why of this selection of Jacob and Esau. And he says it's in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. That is why she was told the older shall serve the younger. Because God's grace is freely given, and it often falls on those who we would least expect. God doesn't always work through the ways that we would anticipate, the way that we would plan it out. But God continues to use unlikely means to accomplish his purposes. Do you see that in your life? Do you see the way that God might even use you in, in, in amazing ways, even though you may not think that you have a certain set of gifts, a certain set of abilities, but, but that God can use you regardless of what you think of yourself and what you could actually do? God's grace is still free. And lastly, we see that God's promises still stand. The end of Genesis goes to great lengths to record and to emphasize the burial grounds of the patriarchs, which is kind of weird for us, right? Like, why do we care where these guys are buried? But we see this here in chapter 50, but this emphasis goes all the way back to even chapter 23 when Abraham first took possession of land in Canaan where Sarah was actually buried. Because where you were buried signified and spoke of, of, of the land to which you belonged. It was your homeland, which is why it's emphasized over and over, which is why Jacob, at the end of his life, knows that his home is not Egypt. So he says, Joseph, don't let me be buried here. Take me to the land that I belong to. Let me be buried with my fathers. And in verse 21, he says, to Joseph, he says, I am about to die, but God will be with you. He will bring you again to the land of your fathers. See, Jacob and his family had arrived in Goshen and found a nice little place there. They were doing just fine in Egypt. The text says that they, were, they, they had gained wealth. They were, they were, they were uh, growing as a people. Jacob could have easily said, you know what? Those things that God said to my grandfather... All those years ago, that was, that was a long time ago. That was then. A lot has changed since then. You know what? We'll just start over here. We'll just, we'll just establish ourselves here and, and just, just kind of get a fresh start down here in Egypt. But Jacob knows that God is not done. And we see this, and this, this is this repeated theme throughout Genesis, that God is continuing to fulfill his promises. Even though Jacob is about to die off, God is not finished yet. He's not abandoning his promises with the passing of Jacob. But he will bring his people out of Egypt. They will take possession of the land. And it's this, this scene of blessing, the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, that interestingly, when you get to the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews uses this scene to, to give as an example of Jacob's faith. He said in, in Hebrews 11, it's this, this chapter all on the faith of, of those who came before us. And when he arrives at Jacob, he says, Jacob, through faith, blessed the sons of Joseph. And it's like, why does it use that as an example of his faith? And I believe it's because Jacob, in blessing 
his sons, is affirming the ongoing fulfillment of God's promises and specifically the hope that they will take possession of the land one day. And I wish we had time to to really unpack this, this theme of the land throughout all of the Bible. But, but what we'll see eventually is that God is not merely about giving out a, a strip of land in the Middle East. Although that does have incredible significance for the nation of Israel, specifically during this time of what he's doing and what we'll see later on. But, but what God is doing is the, 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 really the expansion of these promises that were given to Abraham as we walk through the Bible. The first expansion of these promises that were given, we see, first of all, in those who are adopted as the children of God. We see this in a book like Galatians, where we read that those who receive the promises are not merely native Israelites, but we read a passage like this where it says, in Christ You are all sons of God through faith. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we see that belonging to the covenant family is not based merely on ethnicity, but rather on our belonging to Christ. We see then the expansion of this, of this promise, this promise of the land. Where is it? It is expanded where we'll read a passage like Psalm 37 that says, the meek will inherit the land. And then we pick up, as we, as we looked at this past summer, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, as he, as, as, as he gives us these beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount where he says, the meek will inherit the earth. There's this expansion of, of not just the land, but really the earth that is being, that is, that is being offered and given. And then we'll arrive at a passage like Hebrews 11, where we read about the faith of the patriarchs. And it says this, it says all these who, who were given these promises, it says that they died before they received them. It says they died not having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them from far off. But they, they, were, they were acknowledging through their faith that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. It goes on to say that people who speak like that make it clear that they seek a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had come out, they certainly could have had opportunity to go back and return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, Jacob and those after him continue to struggle with the question of where is the land in which we can dwell? After the exodus, and God brings them out of, out of Egypt, but they're in the wilderness wandering, the people complain. And they start to say, this is, we don't want this. We were better off in Egypt. We, let us just go back to Egypt. But God is calling them to live in his place to live under his rule is where they belong. That's where they will receive his blessing. And even later, as they, they do return, as they enter and they conquer the land under Joshua, they continue to, to, to rebel against God's rule over their lives. They worship false gods, and eventually it leads to them being exiled from the land, 
But through the prophets, there's constantly this hope of return, this promise of return to the land. And then, as, as, after, after years of silence, and we see the person of Jesus break in. We see him come along and say in a passage like John 14, say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you will also be. Jesus offers us all the promise of dwelling in his place as he comes to set and establish his rule and reign over the entire world. He offers us the opportunity to live under his rule, experiencing his blessing and to receive all of these promises as all of the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob are ultimately fulfilled in Christ, as we become united to Christ through faith, we become the true sons of Abraham and receive the fullness of the promises that God is offering to us. And do you believe that these promises still stand today? That you don't belong to this world, but you have been called to another that we await the one that is to come. Does that shape the way you live your life, our attachment to this age, to these things? Do we live for the age that is to come, to the land that is our true place, our true dwelling place with God? So as we look at a rather obscure passage such as Genesis 48, as we reflect on these, these, these principles that we've seen over and over, that, that God is still present, that His grace is still free, that His promises still stand. Are you rooted in these things? Like Are these things that, that continue to grip you, that, 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 that give you a foundation to live in? So that regardless of what you encounter in life, you, you, can, you can be stable. So when that phone call comes revealing that unexpected diagnosis? Do you have something that that you can cling to so you're not just shattered by it? When you receive that promotion at work and you you go home thinking, wow, I'm I'm pretty special. I'm pretty awesome. I'm I'm the stuff. Like, like, do you have something that that shapes that to, to, to realize that it is just merely God's grace that has gotten you to that place? Regardless of what season of life you find yourself in, regardless of, of whether it is a, it is, it is a season of, of, of blessing or whether a season of struggle, do you have things that, are, that you're rooted in? Are you rooted in the truths that God continues to reveal to us through a book like Genesis, that His presence is still with us, even though we may not see it in the way that we expect? His grace is still free. We don't have to earn it. And that His promises still stand that he will accomplish his purposes through whatever unexpected means he chooses. He will establish his kingdom. He will unite us to himself in fullness and will offer us a better hope than what we find here. So let's cling to these promises. Let's stand on these truths together as God's people, as those who have been adopted, not unlike Ephraim and Manasseh, who have been adopted as the true sons of God. So let's look to him today and let's pray together. Father, we, we love your word. We love that you have given us these truths. Even though it may be a lifetime of, of wrestling to understand all these things and how these things fit together, as we see this story that you are unfolding before our eyes, that you have ushered us into, 
I just pray that we would be drawn to worship you, that we would cling to the hope that you are still with us. And we know that because of Jesus and how he came to dwell amongst us. Pray that we would recognize that your grace is still free and that we would cling to the reality that your promises still stand. So we thank you, Father, for this time, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.